together as we turn into the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We continue working our way through Paul's letter to that church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This morning we're going to be in verses 1 through 5. Several years ago, Mel Gibson starred in a movie called What Women Want. And in the movie, through a tragic accident of some sort, he was able to read women's minds. And initially, that might sound like a blessing, guys, to try to figure out what in the world these women thinking. But as the movie progresses, it turns out to be a curse to be able to try to find out what is inside someone else's mind and what they are thinking. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look inside the mind of a pastor And if you dare, you can enter into my realm of thought as I begin to think about you as a church and what I would like for the church to be and what I would hope the church would do. Paul does that for us today in our text, and we typically think of him as a premier theologian, as a man who is motivated by the glory of God. We also see him in Scripture as a man whose heart is also tightly knit to the churches that he planted. It's obvious that Paul has a heart and an affection for these people and also a desire to pursue the glory of God. And today we see those two things wed together. And the lesson there for us is this, glorify the Lord by fulfilling His will for our church. We think about the will of God sometimes seems mysterious to us, but today there is no mystery here. God has revealed to us the way in which we can glorify Him by humbly submitting and fulfilling His will. Would you please stand with me this morning in reverence for the reading of the Word of God if you are able to. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. These words were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, God, that you have spoken and your word is true and it is trustworthy. It is faithful. It is powerful. So, Father, as we come to the word today, we come with that conviction that you are speaking to us today. We pray that our minds and our hearts are ready to receive of your word. Father, I pray that each of us would seek to submit and obey your word as you are calling to us. Father, as we have gathered, if there be anyone here today, anyone within the sound of my voice that's never put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, we pray that today would be the day of salvation as they trust in the death, burial, resurrection, and the coming again of Jesus our Lord. Father, again, thank you for this word. Speak to us clearly, powerfully, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
the outset of our study of this letter, we said there were three purposes for Paul writing this particular letter to this particular church. He was writing to encourage them. They were going through some difficult times, persecution from the outside, some disruptive souls from the inside, and they needed to be encouraged, and Paul was writing, writing to do that. Paul was writing to not only encourage, but to educate. There was some confusion dealing specifically with the doctrine of the end times, and Paul was writing to help correct some mistaken thinking, some mistaking, mistaken uh, life uh, behavior that came out of that thinking. But not only did Paul write to encourage and educate, he wrote to exhort. There were some things going on in the church. There were some uh, individuals whose behavior was not lining up in the best interest of the church, and Paul was writing to encourage the church to deal with those things. Today he begins to shift gear towards that last part, but we do see a little bit of all three sprinkled in. He's encouraging, educating, and exhorting here together. As he is writing to that church, he is revealing to them his heart, his concern, his desire for them. So what does Paul want from that church? What does the Lord want from our church? First of all, Paul wants that church to pray. He wants them to pray. Verse 1, he says, Finally, now, in the, the Greek writing, finally, it could either mean this is the end of what I'm about to say, or it could mean literally I'm just shifting gears on you. It's kind of like when a preacher says, in conclusion, it may be the end, it may not be the end. Who knows? It takes a while to get there sometimes. But Paul says, finally. And so we know he is moving towards the end, and he's kind of shifting the focus. He's been talking a lot about the end times and the return of Jesus for his church the retribution on that day dealt out towards the unbelievers as he has spelt out in chapter 2 and all the way back in chapter 1. But here Paul says, Finally, brethren, finally, church, my, my fellow brothers and sisters in, in the Lord. Here says, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for us. Pray for us. As Paul and the ministry team that started that church and was planting churches all over, Asia and in Europe. Paul says, pray for us. In other words, he's asking for help. He says, there, there are some things that, that we need to see the Lord do, things we cannot do ourselves, and so I want you to petition God on our behalf. We, we want you to pray. Pray for us. And what is Paul asking specifically prayer for? First of all, reception of the message. Reception. He says, pray for us. That, specifically, the Word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, the, the message, the gospel. It's the word about the Lord, the gospel story about the Lord. It is also the Lord's message. It's not Paul's message. It's not Paul's word. It's not my word. It's the word of the Lord. And he says, finally, pray that the word of the Lord, the message about Jesus dying for sinners, about Jesus rising again, about the soon return of Christ, our need to believe in Him, our need to trust in Him, our need to repent of sin, that Word of the Lord. Pray that that will spread rapidly. That it will spread rapidly. It is His message and we need His power to advance it. He's pointed out back in chapter 2, verse 13, we should give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning. 
for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. We've already said this is a supernatural thing. For someone to be saved, for someone to, to be an enemy of God and, and, and be converted, to become a child of God, that's a supernatural, miraculous work of the Spirit, followed up by the human response of faith and repentance. So why is Paul praying and say pray that the, that, the, that the word will spread because God has to be the one to do that. We need His help. And he says, just as it did also with you. So Paul is pointing to that church. He says, Thessalonians, you all are an example of how the word of God is powerful. You are an example of, of, of the success of the message of Christ. I came to you, I shared the gospel, I shared the word, and you accepted it. You received it as the very word of God. And you were saved. Pray that others will respond to the word just as you have. So Paul says, pray for the reception of the message, but also pray for the protection of the messengers. In verse 1, he says, pray for us that the word will spread. In verse 2, and that we will be rescued. We've seen a lot of rescuing going on this week uh, as souls have been affected by the hurricane and the flood in Texas. People being rescued by boats. People being rescued by helicopters. People in harm's way in danger. And yet someone comes to rescue and deliver them from that. Paul says, pray that for us. Pray that we'll be rescued from perverse and evil men. The word perverse means wrong, out of place. Evil meaning wicked with intention. These were, were men that were seeking to do harm, not only to, to the messengers, to Paul and the other apostles, but seeking to do harm to the message itself, trying to prevent the word of God from spreading. That was their ambition. Paul dealt with all kinds of adversity on the mission field and he wrote about it extensively in the book of 2 Corinthians talking about the, the trials and tribulations he faced 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 3 through 10 he says giving no cause for offense in anything in order that the ministry be not discredited but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance in afflictions in hardships in distresses in beatings in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil reports and good reports, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Paul talking about the tribulations he goes through in ministry. And then he continues in chapter 11, verses 23 through 29 of 2 Corinthians. He says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I am more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst and often without food in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there was a daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who was weak without my being weak? Who was led into sin without my intense concern? Paul obviously saw himself in danger in many situations, but his concern was not for his own well-being. His concern was for the spreading of the message. And he was praying that those that were perverse and evil, trying to prevent the spread of the gospel, trying to harm the ministry of Paul, he is praying that they would cease, that he would be rescued from their attempts so that the gospel would prevail. So why is Paul praying for gospel success and security? The end of verse 2 or in the verse 2, yes. For not all have faith. Why does Paul want the message to spread? Because not everybody's saved. Why does Paul want the messengers to be protected? Because not everybody's saved. He is praying that the gospel would reach lost hearts and see folks converted and saved. And anything or anyone that's going to hinder that happening, Paul is praying and saying, pray for us. Pray for God's supernatural work and His deliverance. For not all have faith. You see, I think Paul and I would get along quite well. He's a man who loved the churches, as I love this church dearly. He was a man who loved the Lord, of course. He was a man who loved sports. You may not know that about Paul. You see him using frequent athletic analogies. He's, he talks about wrestling. He talks about boxing. And here he's talking about the word spreading, literally that the word would run like a race. There is a, there is a goal, there's a finish line, and, and the race that's being run is to reach those lost souls that are headed for hell. And Paul is praying that the race would run, that the word would run swiftly. And anything or anyone that's going to hinder the spreading of the word, Paul is praying against that and asking the church, pray that God would rescue us so that we could run, we could take that baton. That baton that Paul passed on to that church, that baton that was passed on to someone else, that, that baton that is passed to us today, we are praying that we will run faithfully, that the word would spread quickly and swiftly by our efforts and pray that God would deliver us from anyone that would seek to prevent and hurt the spread of that message. Paul wants that church to pray. Secondly, Paul wants the church to persevere, to persevere, to not get distracted by the issues. The persecution from the outside, the confusion from the inside, Paul is saying, persevere. Press on through that. How does that happen? First of all, it's the Lord's reliability to ensure that. Verse 3, he says, But the Lord is faithful. The end of verse 2, Not all have the faith. And literally, the way this is written, the first word in verse 3 is faithful, but is the Lord. 
The contrast there, not everyone has faith. Faithful is the Lord. He will ensure the spreading of His gospel. He will ensure the protection of the messengers so that His will is accomplished. The Lord is faithful. And He will do what? He will strengthen. That means to firmly establish, like to to build a foundation and then to make it even more firm and make it even more stable and more secure. He will strengthen and protect you to protect you, to defend you. He is our shield, our defense. And he says he will do this for you. Now Paul was already saying, pray for the spreading of the gospel. Pray that that the Lord will rescue us. But his concern is not just for himself. He's concerned for those folks. The Lord will strengthen and protect you. You all. Y'all. Youans. Second person plural. Paul's concern is for that church, but the Lord is faithful, and this is what He will do for you if you are a Christian, if you're one who has surrendered your heart to Christ Jesus and given Him your life, you've turned from your sin and trusting in Him and Him alone. This is what He will do for you. He will strengthen you. He will protect you. From who? From the evil one. Literally in the text, from evil. From the evil. The personification of evil. Of course, he's talking about Satan. All of the attacks on the Great Commission work, Paul is saying. All of the persecution on the church from the outside, all of the false teaching taking place inside, all of the hindrances, anyone that would seek to, to, to attack the messengers of the gospel, behind all of that is the evil one. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, Paul says in Ephesians 6. We have an enemy who is real, an enemy who hates you, an enemy who hates the gospel, who hates the Great Commission. But the Lord is faithful. As the enemy attacks relentlessly, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. He will defend you the Lord's reliability. But then Paul also points to the believer's responsibility in verse 4. The believer's responsibility. He says, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. The confidence, the the assurance. Paul is, is persuaded in the Lord regarding that church. His confidence for that church and their responsibility is rooted in the fact that God has already begun a good work in them. That God has already rescued them via the gospel. That God is the one who will strengthen and protect them. And we have confidence in the Lord because of that concerning you that you will do what? Paul points to two things here. That you will continue in the work. Continue in the work. He says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing. This was a church that was doing. This was a, it wasn't a church that was just sitting. It wasn't a church that was just talking. They were a church that were doing, they were working, they were fulfilling the Great Commission. They were taking the Apostles' command and they were doing it. They were practicing it. They were living it. As much as there were distractors in that church and as much as there was persecution on the outside, they were a church that were presently doing what Paul was calling them to do in the Lord. A church that was presently obedient. But then Paul says, not only 
Do I have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing, but also, and you will continue to do what we command? What we command. You read that and you say, is Paul arrogant? Is Paul on some sort of ego trip? Who died and left Paul in charge? Who made him boss? You know, kids in our house, as, as we have raised them, we have to remind them from time to time, they're not boss. You know, Daddy, give me something to drink. I'm like, are you the boss? Daddy, can I please have something to drink? Well, that sounds much better. Here's Paul saying, do what we command you. What gives Paul the authority to command anything from that church? Is Paul arrogant? No, of course not. But Paul humbly recognized that his authority was bound to God's Word. God's Word had the authority. It was God's Word that instructs our beliefs. It's God's Word that directs our behaviors. And as much as Paul preached and taught and lived and exemplified the Word, as long as Paul was under the umbrella of the authority of God's Word, he had all authority to command that church to do not what Paul wanted them to do, but what God was calling them to do. As Paul was writing to, co to correct their beliefs and to correct their behaviors, he had all authority via the Word of God and the Word of God alone. The moment a minister of the Gospel steps out underneath the umbrella of the authority of the Word, he loses all authority. I have no right to call upon you to do anything that the Word doesn't call you to do. But as long as I preach and teach and live by this book and I call you to do the same, all authority is bound up not in the minister, but in the Word. And Paul understood that and he says, I have confidence that you are doing the Word and you will continue to do the Word. The Word that was commanded by Paul was the Word of God itself. Faithfulness too the scriptures you see Paul loved that church dearly and I said I can resonate with him because I love you all dearly you mean the world to me there's one of you in here that means even more to me than the rest of y'all and that's the way it should be a husband and a wife the bond between the groom and his bride and you want to get on my bad side quickly you do something to hurt my wife you harm my wife and I will react I may be a preacher but we may come to blows. You hurt my wife. Scripture describes the church as what? The bride of Christ. And as zealous as I am for my wife, imagine the zeal that Jesus has for his bride, the church. And anyone that would seek to harm his bride, his church, imagine the fierce loyalty he has for his bride. But yet also he calls his bride to faithfulness to him. And that's what we see Paul talking about here. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that Jesus, out of his covenant love and his loyalty for that church, he will establish and keep and protect that church as he will our church. But that church is also called to be faithful to him as he's calling us to be faithful to his commands that are found in the word of God also. 
So Paul wants that church to pray. He wants that church to persevere. And finally, he wants that church to progress. To progress. To move forward. To not be satisfied with past success. Yeah, you all really obeyed the word of the Lord that one time a couple years back. That's pretty sweet. You guys are set now. Do what you want. No. To continue in faithfulness. To continue and progress and move forward. Not satisfied with past growth or even present growth. So we look upon our own church and we see what God has done throughout the years in Ephesus and what God continues to do now and the spirit of revival that's blowing through our congregation. We need not be satisfied. We want to progress. And Paul here recognizes this for that church. And he says, May the Lord... By the way, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. In five verses, he uses the phrase, The Lord, four times. The repetition means emphasis. He wants them to understand this is the Lord's work. This is the Lord's word. You are the Lord's church. Remember, it is all about the Lord and His glory. And he says in verse 5, a pastoral prayer once again, may the Lord direct your hearts. May the Lord direct your hearts. He needs God to do something with their hearts literally direct sometimes you'll hear folks pray in the church Lord lead guide and direct us that's literally what Paul is saying here I pray that the Lord leads you guides you and directs you your hearts the the totality of who you are the seat of of your being your emotion your thoughts I, I pray the Lord steers those things into two things specifically he mentions here first of all he prays they would progress with a heart of compassion compassion. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. The love of God. There's an interpretive dilemma here. The love of God, is it objective or subjective? What does he mean by that? Well, the love of God, is it our love for God? The love of God, uh, the way we love God? Or is it His love for us? The love that's from God to you. In some ways, it's both. Our love for God and His love for us. But the context of all Paul's been saying in this letter and praying that God would do something, the context is the latter. It's God's love for us. God's covenant love for us. His compassion for us. In the context of what Paul's saying here, be comforted by how much God loves us. May He direct your hearts into how much He loves you. His agape, His divine supernatural love, His covenantal love, this relationship that He has with you, this, this, this covenant, this commitment that He has with you based on His faithfulness, may He direct your hearts into that. So may you think about and dwell and meditate on how much God loves you. Grow in your understanding of that and then imitate it then put it into practice. May He direct your hearts and how much He loves you and let the love of God flow over you and let the love of God flow out of you. That's Paul's will for that church. I pray you will grow with a heart of compassion. You'll progress and you will understand God's love so fully that you will begin to love one another. 
just like God. A heart of compassion, but also a heart of commitment. As verse 5 continues, May the Lord direct your hearts into two things, the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. The interpretive dilemma is there too. Is it our steadfastness towards Jesus or is it His towards us? And it's probably the latter. Christ's patience, His endurance, His fortitude, His steadfastness. He didn't waver in the face of His sufferings. His patience in His sufferings and His patience with His people. So let's face it. I know we try His patience. I know I do. But He's steadfast. He's committed to you. His love for you is unconditional and His commitment is steadfast. And in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, 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 of all that He went through, He remained faithful. And as Paul is saying, may we be like Christ. May we think about and meditate on His steadfastness towards us. And as, as we struggle with persecution, as we struggle with adversity, as we struggle with conflict, may we model the Lord's patience. May our hearts be directed and steered towards the steadfastness of Christ towards us and let that flow out of our hearts towards one another. That's how the church progresses, growing in compassion for God, for one another, and in commitment to Christ and to one another. So we see here we are called to glorify the Lord by fulfilling His will for the church. And it's not a mystery. It's revealed to us. It is not a mystery. But you know what remains a mystery? Where do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know. I don't care. Where do you want to eat? And that age-old struggle that rolls on and on and on, the mystery and the problem is, and ladies, sometimes you all get pegged with this more so than guys, but we're guilty of it too sometimes. The problem is we can't read one another's minds, can we? In a marriage relationship, you can't read each other's minds. It's probably a good thing. You can't. can't read one another's minds. You can't read one another's minds in the church either. You know, I don't know what you're thinking and what you want, and sometimes you don't know what I'm thinking or what I want, but here, this text clearly defines what Paul wanted for that church, and, and as I read that, I'm just like, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, I'd love for my church to pray for the spreading of the gospel. I'd love for the church to pray for me as I'm a messenger of the good news. I'd love for the church, God, to persevere because you are faithful. I pray the church will follow suit. Be faithful to you. Continue steadfastly in the work and in the Word. And Lord, I want the church to progress. I don't want the church to be happy on success in the past or the present. I want the church to keep growing and keep growing in its love for you and love for one another and the steadfastness of Christ and for each other. That's what I want for the church. But you know, ultimately, it's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. Isn't it? It's about what God wants. For me as a pastor, what God wants for you as the people. 
And in reading the Word, I can, I can tell you this right now. This is what God wants. God wants pastor and people on the same page. Well, pastor and people on the same page because if we're on a different page, moving in different directions, and if our hearts and our desires and our ambitions, motivations don't line up, then we're not going to move very far. But not only is it just the same page, it's any old page, whatever page the pastor's on, let's get on his page. Or whatever page the people's on, I need to get on that page. It doesn't matter what my page or your page is. What matters is these pages right here. These are the pages the Lord wants me on this page. And He wants you on this page. And if we as a church can together collectively pastor and people get on the pages of this book and stay on the pages of this book, then we will succeed. And all it is that God is calling us to do. I know that's what you want. I'm here to tell you that's what I want. I want God to be glorified in our church by all of us collectively submitting to His revealed perfect will. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we humble ourselves again and come into Your presence. We thank